0: We're in Genesis 15 this morning, Genesis 15, 1 through 21. In the midst of life's challenges, um, we often find ourselves asking questions. Why? Why did this happen? When I was taking a trip uh, in college to Nags Head with a friend of mine, I picked him up and we were hitting the road and we were ready to go. I think we were leaving from around Wendell area. So we got on 65, uh, 64, and I think before we got to Rocky Mount, we pulled over with a flat tire. And my instinct was to question, why? We were ready to go, why? And then throughout my ministry, um, serving in different churches, uh, this question comes up, why, why would God allow this to happen? Why would this happen? And often it comes up in times much more serious than a flat tire on the side of the road. Times of crisis, an unexpected death, a a diagnosis of cancer, difficulties of finances, a stroke or a heart attack. People ask this question, I've heard it several times, why would God allow this to happen? And when someone asks that, they're not asking for a theological treatise on why, On God's sovereignty or why this would take place. They're looking for some sort of reassurance that there is a reason. That there is an answer to the question why. They're looking for some sort of reassurance that there is a God who is sovereign and who is good. Maybe it's not a crisis that causes these questions. Maybe it's just the weakness of our own faith at the moment. The ordinariness of life seemingly mundane, day after day we do some of the same things and we just wonder, is, is there meaning to this life? Can God be trusted? Uh, can we depend on Him to keep His promises? Is there, is there meaning here? After all, the world keeps on spinning as it always has, day after day. And there's no sign of His appearing yet. Well, the truth that we encounter this morning in God's word is that God meets our uncertainties concerning his promises with assurances of his faithfulness. God meets our uncertainties concerning his promises with assurances of his faithfulness. In Genesis 15, Abram responds to God's promises with uncertainty. Will he really have a great reward if he doesn't have any children? How can he know for sure that he will possess the land? And like Abram, we are often tempted to doubt because of our present circumstances or simply because of our own weakness of faith. But we can trust God. He is faithful. And in his patience, he even welcomes us to come to him in our weakness, acknowledging our uncertainties, and he assures us by his word. He assures us by the cross of Christ that he loves us and that he is good and that he will be true to his word. So follow along with me as I read chapter 15 of Genesis. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, What will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old and a female goat three years old a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, The Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. God add add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his word. First, I want to examine the problem that we see in this text. And then we'll move from the problem to the solution. And then from the solution to the response that is called for in response to God. First, the problem that we see here is a problem we all face. We are tempted to be uncertain concerning God's promises. We are tempted to be uncertain concerning God's promises. Now, in one sense, uncertainty is just what it means to be a human. We are finite. We are limited in our understanding of what's coming next. This is what James addresses when he says to those who are making plans without reference to God. uh, We we are a mist that is here one day and gone the next. We don't know what tomorrow will hold. That's why we say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. So in some sense, our uncertainty is just by the fact that we are humans. We're finite. We're limited in our knowledge and understanding. But in another sense, our uncertainty can become sin very quickly. When God has told us something, when God has proclaimed something that is the case or will be the case, and we remain uncertain, or well, we remain doubting concerning the truth of what he has said, that's when it becomes sin. When we see truths of Scripture, and we remain uncertain about those truths, that's where uns- our uncertainty enters into the area of sin. And what we see in Scripture is that even the heroes of the faith struggled with this. The great heroes that we put on pedestals Uh, The heroes of the Old Testament, Abram himself, Abraham himself, called the man of faith, struggled with uncertainties and doubts concerning the promises of God. In our text, we see this pattern. Verses 1 through 5, notice, God speaks a promise. Then Abram presents an objection or a question concerning that promise And then God responds to Abram's question with a clarification of the promise and a sign to bolster his faith. You see that in verses 1 through 5? And then also in verses 7 through 21, the pattern is repeated. God speaks a promise, Abram questions it, and then God responds with clarification of the promise and a sign to strengthen his faith. So the word of the Lord in verse 1 comes to Abram. And this is the first time that it's been put this way. God has been speaking to Abram. uh, But this is the first time. It says the word of the Lord comes to Abram. Uh, The author is portraying Abram as a prophet. This is the language used of the prophets throughout the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came to them. And the word of the Lord comes to Abram here. And he has a vision. This is a visual and auditory revelation from God. He says, fear not. Don't be afraid. I am your shield. I am your protector. I am the one who will guard you. There's no reason to be afraid. Your reward shall be very great. And we might wonder, why would Abram be afraid? Why this command of God, do not be afraid. Fear not. He had just routed the kings, these great kings, who had been taking over every... Uh, tribe and nation he has great wealth what is there to be afraid of retaliation perhaps maybe uh, he he might be tempted to be afraid of uh, Keter Larimer or other nations who would retaliate for his their destruction maybe he's looking around at the inhabitants of the land and is concerned again about how will he acquire this promise But perhaps it's something else, and something else more related to the promise that God had given him concerning his offspring. And I get that sense from Abram's question, verse 2. What will you give me, he says, for I continue childless. So perhaps this fear is related to the promise. Your reward will be, be very great. Fear not, Abram. Fear not about all these Concerns that you have, these uncertainties you have about the promise. Abram questions God. He is concerned about the promise. Notice, though, in his questioning, he doesn't have an irreverent or arrogant attitude. It is an appropriate approach. His attitude is at least in the right place, it seems. Sovereign Lord, he addresses God. Lord God, Master, he is. Coming to God in in a humble manner, recognizing God as the almighty. God is the master over all. And what is his concern or his question? Basically, I think it's this. What good is a very great reward if I have no children to inherit it? What good will all this reward be? I continue childless. Abram had uncertainty concerning the promise because of his childlessness. He was old and getting older. He says, I continue childless. Things keep going on day by day. Things continue progressing. I'm going to die before too long and I have no child. Abram had no tangible evidence that what God had said would actually be the case. And really, he was concerned not only for his lineage, but for the promise itself. Remember, God had promised Abram, through your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So he knows that there's more to this promise than just his own lineage continuing. This is, through him, the whole world is going to be blessed. This promise of the offspring who will crush the head of the serpent. The Messiah, the one who will save us from our sins. He knows that there's more at stake to this than just his own children. But he's tempted to doubt this because of his present circumstances. And aren't we tempted much in the same way? By our own outward circumstances, we have these uncertainties concerning life, concerning the goodness of God. Sinclair Ferguson is a Scottish theologian who teaches at Redeemer Seminary in Dallas, and he asks this, what is... The central temptation of the Christian. What is the central temptation of the Christian? And listen to what he says. It is to doubt that God is infinite goodness. And that in his purposes and in his providences, everything he does is good. That's what he says is the perennial temptation of the Christian. See, difficulty in believing God is most acute, most severe, not when everything appears to be going along as it should, but when everything in your experience or circumstance speaks contrary words than the words God has spoken. And when we allow this temptation to overcome us, it shows that we have forgotten God's own sovereign designs in our circumstances. So Abram's childlessness, is this something that took God by surprise? This was a part of God's design, the way Abram's life turned out. Your present circumstances, what you're going through right now, God doesn't simply know about those. He is in control of those things. He has ordained those things for a reason. And our tendency in these circumstances is to doubt God. To doubt his goodness or even that he is in, in control of these things. But really what we should recognize in Abram's life here and in our own lives is that God's providences provide opportunities for faith. God's pro- rather than doubting, God's providences in our lives provide opportunities for faith. Think about your own circumstances, your financial issues that you're having. Relational issues that you're having. All of these things are under the umbrella of God's control and His sovereignty. They haven't taken Him by surprise. He's not, he's not asking the same questions we are. Why is this going on? But rather than moving us towards doubt and uncertainty, He wants to draw us to Him in those situations. In faith. These are, these are opportunities to trust him. Think about in the life of our own church. Um, if, if we had all, mainly you, if you had had your ideas of what was going to take place with this church plant, it wouldn't have turned out like this. Right? And so what do we do with that? Do we, are, we, are we moved towards uncertainty and doubt? Wondering uh, what's going to happen? We don't know. Is not God in control of even these things? In his own providence, has he not ordained that this, would be, that this would take place? And so rather than moving us towards uncertainty and doubt, God wants to move us towards trusting him. Yeah, we don't know what the future holds. He hasn't promised that every single local church will survive and thrive in a certain area. But in those cases, we go on what we do know. We know that it's God's desire to reach people with the gospel. We know that a great strategy of his in reaching people with the gospel is the planting of local churches, local congregations who will be salt and light in the world. We know that in Rollsville, there are many people who do not know and trust and treasure Christ. You know, family members and friends who don't know and treasure Christ. And so... In the midst of uncertainty, we move forward in faith knowing what God has called us to. Knowing what his will is for us. Trusting him. Knowing that he is sovereign. That he has ordained even our circumstances. And that he has called us to trust him and obey. Remember, the Lord is sovereign. He is in control. Your present circumstances will tempt you to doubt. But it is an opportunity for faith to rest in his goodness. We see another instance of Abram's uncertainty in this text. Uh, There is the outward circumstance of his childlessness. But there's also, I think, just the the weakness of his own faith. Look at verse 7. God takes the initiative again. He announces who he is and what he will do. I am the Lord who brought you from Ur to the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. I brought you out for a reason. This would remind the readers of uh, who were the Israelites of the fact that God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt. It would remind them of God's faithfulness and his purpose even through those 400 years in slavery. question that we see from Abram is in verse 8. Again, he addresses God, sovereign Lord. But it's a slightly different question. The first question is along the lines of, could it really be true? Is this? Can I really trust in this promise? But here it's more along the lines of assurance. How can I be sure that I will possess this land? That it will really happen? It's almost as if he's saying, like uh, the man in the New Testament, I believe. Now Lord help my unbelief. Give me some sort of confirmation. Abram wants something more than God's word to assure him that it will take place. Some assurance that some assurance of this truth of this promise so that his faith will be bolstered. Now what could have God said in this circumstance? What I say too often as a father Because I said so, that's why. Just do it. I said it, now believe it and follow it. He could have said that, but he doesn't. And I think this reveals something very important about God's character. But before we get there, we're going to get there. Let's consider our own weakness of faith. Just, yeah, we're tempted to uncertainties because of our circumstances, but just consider the weakness of our own faith. Our own desires for something more, to confirm to us what God has said is true. So you're making a, a big decision about life, about family, about college, about work, about moving, and our tendency, our desires to look for signs to. Tr- God just drop a neon sign out of heaven, and it will confirm. To me, what I need to do. It will confirm to me all that you have said. Just, just show me something. Just give me some sort of assurance. That's, we want it, God to make things easier for us rather than walking by faith. We want to see something. So, what do we do when these uncertainties creep up on us? What do we do when our circumstances or our own weakness of faith calls us to, to question? I say do what Abram did. With reverence, with humility of heart, take it to God. Do you think you're going to hide it from God? These feelings that you have of, uh, of uncertainty, of doubting his promise... That doesn't mean that we go to him in arrogance and say, prove yourself, God. No, you you come to him, as Abram does, with humility of attitude, knowing that he is the sovereign, knowing that he is God Almighty, and you bring it to him. He knows about it already. And so really, you are expressing faith in acknowledging your own doubts, in acknowledging your own uncertainties. So you confess your sin if you must. Confess your sin of your own doubt. You know you should be trusting him fully, but you're not. Confess that to him and bring these questions to God in prayer. And then remember the promises. Remember. Remember his faithfulness and his goodness. Preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself, God is sovereign and He is good. Remember what He has done to save you from your sin in sending Christ. Dying upon a cross. Being raised from the dead. Preach the gospel to yourself. Place yourself under the regular preaching of others. Here in the corporate gathering of the church, place yourself under the preaching of the Word in Christian fellowship in your care groups, with other brothers and sisters who will remind you of the faithfulness of God. God has given us solutions for uncertainties. He has accounted for that weakness in us. So the problem is that we are tempted to be uncertain concerning the promises of God. But here's the solution. God provides for the weaknesses of our faith. God provides for the weakness of our faith. Notice God's great patience in dealing with Abram. This is the the character of God I was alluding to earlier. Part of God's provision for the weakness of our faith is simply in his own character. That he's patient. That he is long-suffering. That he doesn't just say, just believe it. Okay, I already said it to you time and time again, just believe it. He shows patience in graciously repeating the promises. Unlike us all too often as parents. You know, I get tired of repeating things. I get frustrated. I get irritated. God shows us his love for us in his patience with us. He repeats the promises. And here for Abram's assurance, he gives words and signs. He not only repeats the promises, he clarifies them and then gives him signs to bolster his faith. Each time Abram questions, God responds with a clarification of the promise and then an accompanying sign designed to give assurance to Abram. So verse 4, the word of the Lord comes to Abram in response to his question. No, it won't be Eliezer who will be your heir. I meant what I said. You will have a son. And he gave him a sign. What does he say? Look, in verse 5, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. This is the sign that he gives him. So when's the last time you've been out camping on a cloudless night? You know, especially if you're in the middle of nowhere and you look up at the stars and there you couldn't even begin to count them. Just thousands of stars, maybe even on an especially clear night, you see colors in some of those stars, which may be planets. And you just, it's just a beautiful sight. Count them if you can. So shall your offspring be. Now this reminds us, this word from the Lord reminds us of when he said to Abram, Uh, Look at the dust of the earth. Count the individual grains if you can, and that's what your offspring will be like. But this image raises our eyes up to heaven. And we are encouraged to think about this. The one who created it all. The one who scattered the stars like confetti in the skies. Is he not able to fulfill His promises to Abram concerning offspring if he did all this. And every time Abram would go outside on a clear night, he would look up and remember this promise from God. Think about how good God has been to give us signs. And we've made some of our own too. But there's the rainbow which reminds us of God's promise to Noah. It gives us encouragement when we see a rainbow. We remember God when we see a rainbow. Or think about this this covenant sign we've made for marriage, our wedding band. Every time we notice it, every time we feel it on our hand or look at it, we're reminded of those promises that we made to one another, this covenant we're in, this commitment we're in. It not only reminds us, but it encourages us. Or remember uh, scars that you have, that you got when you were really young. These are signs, and you remember the circumstance you you were going through. Well, God gives Abram a sign of stars. Look up at the stars. This will be a reminder to you. This will bolster your faith. And really, it can even be a strengthening sign for us. As we look up at the stars on a clear night, we remember the promises of God to Abram. And we remember he is faithful. But there's another sign that God gives Abram even more astounding than stars in the sky. And it's one Abram would likely never forget. This is in response to Abram's other question. Look in verse 9. Instead of simply responding Uh, With words first, he responds with instructions. Get a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old goat, a three-year-old ram. Cut them in half and arrange them in parallels which would form an aisle that one could walk through. Abram knew probably what was going on here. Kings in the day would make agreements with one another. They would cut a covenant together and they would walk through these pieces after stating terms of the covenant. Uh, They're basically saying we're committed to one another in this covenant, this commitment that we are making. And if one of us breaks the terms of this covenant with the other, may he become like these dead animals. Body severed, blood spilled out. And the amazing thing about this covenant is that God comes down himself to make it. A deep sleep comes on Abram, a dreadful and great darkness comes upon him and this is a sign of the presence of the Almighty coming to make an agreement with Abram. God speaks the covenant terms, he makes clarifications regarding the promises of the land. Look at verses 13 through 16. The Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring So it's not simply Abram who will inherit the land. It's the offspring. They'll be sojourners in a land that's not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. He's going to die. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God clarifies to Abram, look, this is bigger than you thought. This is going to span hundreds of years. And you know what? You are not even going to see the fulfillment of the promise. Then look what happens after God speaks the terms. Behold, a smoking firepot. And flaming torch passed between these pieces. And when we hear those words, we think of, I think of, God guiding his people out of Egypt with a cloud in the day and a fire by night. This is the presence of God. Walking through the pieces of severed animals. Now notice the significance for this. Probably very shocking for Abram himself. Maybe he thought he would be the one going through these pieces. But God in this covenant places the covenant obligations on himself. What he must do and he places the covenant curses upon himself. What will happen to him if he does not fulfill all that he has promised to do to Abram? This is the gracious nature of God's covenant with us. It's not dependent upon what Abram does here. It's dependent wholly on God doing what he says he will do. And this is the gospel. God has promised us by his grace that our justification is completed by Christ Jesus dying on the cross for sinners. There's there's no amount of good work that we can do to attain our salvation or work ourselves to God. But it has been accomplished for us in the person and work of Christ. Maybe you've noticed I left out verse 6. Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, I didn't leave it out because it's unimportant to the passage, but because of how important it is. This verse 6 is sandwiched between those two instances of promise, question, and assurance. It's sandwiched between Abram's questioning And God's reassurances Here's Abram's faith. It's not a perfect faith. It's not perfectly stable. We'll see in his life ups and downs and uncertainties and questions. But Abram rested in God. God obligates himself to the promises and the curses. And all Abram must do is receive it by faith. And then God credits it To his account as righteousness. And we are to respond in the same way. Simple faith in the gospel. And to the promises of God. Now you'll want to read in your Bibles later. The other references of this verse. Verse 6. It's in Romans chapter 4. It's in Galatians chapter 3. It's in James chapter 2. The New Testament writers recognize that the way Abram was justified before God is the same way anyone is justified before God. By faith alone in the promised one, Jesus Christ. Paul in Romans chapter 4 makes the connection between Abram believing God and us believing Him who raised Jesus from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And when we place our faith in Christ, when we trust Him and His work, when we rest in those promises, we are credited with righteousness. And that's what we all need. That's what you need this morning. We are ungodly in ourselves and God is holy. He cannot stand for sin to be in His presence. How would we be with God in his kingdom of righteousness if we have no righteousness of our own? As Calvin says, faith borrows a righteousness elsewhere of which we in ourselves are destitute. So faith is the spiritual hand which grabs the righteousness which is provided to us in the person and work of Christ. See, you'll remember another time when darkness fell upon the earth. It was when Christ was hanging on the cross for sinners. Now listen to Ed Clowney, a great theologian. He specialized in reading the Old Testament with Christ in mind. He says, at Calvary, God the Son bears the curse of His own imprecation, not because He is guilty, but because He takes the place of the guilty. Such is the final cost. Of God's oath of grace. That mysterious oath. Has a dreadful solemnity. It points beyond. Centuries of bondage in Egypt. Beyond the gift of the promised land. To the day when God's pledge. By his own life. Would be paid in blood. God has given us signs. For encouragement in our faith. He's given us the bread. And the cup. By which to remember him. His body was broken. His blood was spilled out. And as we partake of it this morning, we are reenacting the new covenant ceremony in his blood, which Christ established with his disciples. So, how can we have assurances in the midst of these difficulties, in seasons when our faith is weak? God has given us words, he's given us promises. And he has an unblemished track record of keeping those promises. And he has given us signs to remind us of his faithfulness. He has given us a bloodied Savior who died on a wooden cross for our sins and he has given us an empty tomb by which we know he has overcome the grave. Take assurance in this. Take assurance in Christ. Rest in His goodness. Rest in Him. For He is faithful. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as each one of us has come with uncertainties, with questions perhaps, we pray that You would meet us in Your patience and in Your grace, with reassurances from Your Word. We pray that You would even reassure us in this observation of the Lord's Supper. That you would remind us of your promises and remind us of your faithfulness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.